and recognizing that I am really an expert in this field, that I do it every day, <laughs> every day for the last two years. And it's something I fail to kind of recognize or remind myself that when speaking with clients or just uh, if I get pushback on feedback design, but yes, I do know what I'm talking about. So just really recognizing that. Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of Webflail. That is satisfying to say. The podcast is dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest webflowers because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack. I'm a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Nancy Peng. I first met Nancy in 2021 when working for an agency that specialized in working with churches in the United States of America. Quite a random job. She was then the agency's PM. She was extremely organized and detail-orientated, but she was really keen to transition to working in Webflow. So she worked really, really hard, and now she is a seriously competent Webflower, so much so that she entered the Webflow Speed Build Challenge in 2022, getting to the final 16. And now she works for Slam Media Lab and Adaptable, two agencies in the States. She's bossing life. She just bought a house. It was lush to catch up with her. And she also said, shared some seriously valuable nuggets, all about recognizing the science to pivot with client projects, failing to recognize her expertise in the Webflow space, and failing to ask for feedback from both clients and colleagues. We get into some really juicy stuff. Embrace and learn from failure in episode 30 of Webflow with Nancy Peng. Nancy, welcome to the Webflow podcast. Thank you so much, Jack. Well summarized. <laughs> Glad. Yeah, I didn't want to didn't want to let you down because you know, we worked <laughs> together. You've changed so much in the course since you know I, I worked with you and now you are high flying Webflower. Thank you. That means a lot. And I honestly, I feel like I'm just busy. <laughs> I think you're, you're just one of these people that consistently puts their head down and they're not necessarily shouting about themselves, but someone needs to shout about them. Speaking of which, let's do a little bit of an introduction on your background, how you came into Webflow and a little bit more about your story than I just shared there. Yeah, for sure. This is a very long story, but uh, my background is in uh, mechanical engineering. That's what I went to school for. And I think that's what I chose to do because uh, I really am fascinated about how things work. And I like deconstructing uh, systems and mechanisms and finding out really what's behind it all. And after university and graduating, I worked in oil and gas industry and I thought I was really happy and I thought I was successful and it felt right. Like I was out in the field getting my coveralls on, my hard hat, just checking out big equipment. It was really exciting. And then I was laid off. <laughs> and then that's when I really questioned what's going on? What do I really want to do? And I went traveling for six months. I bought a DSL camera because I, I really liked the idea of photography, but never really practiced it. So that was my uh, first go at traveling solo and photography. And I loved it. I loved it so much. But returning back to uh, Canada, I 
I wasn't uh, ready to let go of my engineering degree or career yet. I was like, I was just starting. So I ended up finding a job, even though it was really hard in a small consulting firm doing HVAC design for commercial kitchens. Very cool. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, wow, you design kitchens. That's awesome. I'm like it is awesome. But I designed the, you know, the plumbing and the, like the kitchen ventilation that you don't really see, but really if it just isn't working is when you'll, you'll notice. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I really actually want to do something visual and I didn't really start my career in like the visual design side of things until I decided to quit my job in 2019 to travel actually, to travel again. Um, my partner and I uh, went to Japan in 2019. Little do we know that after we quit our, our jobs that there would be a pandemic. When we started traveling, uh, we decided to start a traveling blog. And that's when I started building the website. And that was so exciting that I, get, I got to feature a lot of the photography I was taking and also put it online for people to find inspiration, um, notes and whatnot. So that was my first website. Uh, I built it in uh, words. WordPress? <laughs> Sorry, WordPress. Oh my gosh, oh, so long ago. <laughs> WordPress. And uh, it was a struggle, but I found it super interesting. And then, yeah, so we ended up cutting our trip short because of the pandemic. Came back after six months. Coming back from that trip, we, st we stayed at his parents' place uh, on Vancouver Island. And because of the pandemic, they were being really careful, which means we're also being very careful because we stayed with them. And I, I needed to find a job. And I, I think a lot of my focus was on finding something that was remote, something that I can do not going into the office because that was really important. So I started thinking I, in the engineering career I was trying to be in uh, all this time, it, it wasn't something that was very like uh, likely in terms of remote work. So I started looking into, hey, I can do web design, graphic design, and a lot of it I can do remotely. So I started, that's when I really looked into it and started learning a lot of it online, uh, learning about Webflow, finding out that it was so cool. And I rebuilt our blog in Webflow. And that's when I started really officially working Webflow. I enrolled in Flux Academy and the master course. And that's when I got into the community and started meeting people. Didn't I had a hard time finding freelance jobs. So I partook in a lot of the challenges that they had, which was really helpful because it gave a lot of good feedback. I put myself out there and was able to display my work in my portfolio. And that's when I started getting some of my jobs. And also uh, that's when I started working as the PM uh, at uh, the church agency. I, I started as a PM thinking that I would eventually work towards learn more about web design, the whole process and go into it. And yeah, following that, that was a interesting journey. Uh, I'm sure you covered in uh, your episode back in episode 20. It was uh, interesting because we learned how to, we were trying to start a agency, I guess, agency for, for them and just building the, uh, learning about the building blocks of an agency and what worked, what didn't really, really quickly. And also trying to get paid as a freelancer was a struggle. So a lot of lessons learned there. And then eventually I found other work and full-time work now. Uh, so at SLAM Media Lab, um, and I also work part-time at Adaptable. A lot of it was just developing and practicing in my my skills in both areas, really. I think my focus was really 
getting good at something and getting good through practice. And that's through a lot of work and exposure to everything. And that's exactly everything I'm doing right now still. Okay, epic. I'm just going to recap. Essentially, you always knew you were interested in creative stuff, but Mm -hmm. your degree wasn't so much in creative stuff. So there was potentially a little bit of tension there, even though you enjoyed your degree. It sounds like you've got quite a lot of left and right brain thinking. Like you're quite an analytical, detail-oriented yeah. person, but you really enjoy the visual side of design and design thinking. And yeah. then you found this holy matrimony in the Webflow agency that we both worked with. And you were doing PM stuff, but you were also trying in the background doing a lot of website building for yourself and hoping to transition. And then you found this job with Slam Media Lab and Adaptable. And now here you are as a pro web flower. Yeah. And I think that's how I saw you a couple of years ago when we met, where you were very, very good at the PM side of things, but you were also, um, you know, really keen to get building. So what I'm interested in is you've chosen to go down the, the employed route. Why is that, if you don't mind me asking? There are a lot of different factors. I think first one, getting to work with people like the same people regularly is, I I find that I like that connection a lot and being able to work together as part of a team and building the, the company is something I am passionate about. I love like improving things, making small changes here and there. And I think that being a part of a team full time, I'm able to do that better. And so that's one of the main reasons. The second reason was because I'm so new to freelancing, I don't have years of income to prove that I'm a good freelancer. And that's really important for banks, for mortgages. And so in order to get a mortgage to purchase a house in uh, in Canada, that is something that I needed to prioritize and definitely was something that I had top of mind that I wanted to do. So that makes a lot of sense then. Mm-hmm. And do you think that sometimes people try and freelance without fully understanding how difficult it is? Because I think a lot of people come into Webflow being like, I'm going to make like 10K a client or whatever. And actually, yeah. they quickly realize that it's a lot harder than that. Do you, do you think that's that's fair? I think it's very fair. I think that when you think of freelancing, you don't really think about, oh, the difficulty in finding work and finding good clients and delivering, I mean, you think about delivering really awesome work, which is a, a big part of it, but the really difficult part is really finding work and finding good clients and dealing with that and like getting paid. <laughs> Those yeah. three things are so important that not maybe not talked about as much as, oh, hey, I look, uh, look, I built this really awesome website for this client and maybe the client is terrible. You don't know what the backstory. So yes, I, I think that people don't know what maybe freelancing really entails and it's a lot. I also think the thing is that a lot of people come into the Webflow space, if they're like me from like, I don't know, more design interest, they're like, oh, wow, I can do animations and stuff. But frankly, copywriting, SEO, project management, you know, like there's so many skill sets that are needed to have a successful client project. Like forget getting clients. Like once you get them, then what? Like onboarding, offboarding, training, creating a brand identity, all of that stuff. I mean, admittedly, you know, if you're, if you're a freelancer who's 
really specifically good at developing, then maybe that's all you do and, you know, offer clients. But um, in my experience, clients say, can you do this? Can you do that? And you're like, yeah, I kind of can. And then, you know, you, you kind of try and make it work. But yeah, freelancing solo is, I think, a lot harder than people. people yeah, say. no, I agree. Freelancing and without like proper community is very, very hard. Like you don't know what other people are are doing, offering or charging or you just don't know and whether or not you get the work I feel like it's it's almost like applying for jobs you get not a lot of feedback but you put yourself out there anyway uh, not knowing really what's going to happen and mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely really tough a lot of people try and freelance kind of straight out the bat and yeah. you know, quit their job and they're like I'm a freelancer now and it's like no you take you know the money that you're earning is your stability you can pay for courses you can start freelancing on the side. And then when that becomes, you know, um, difficult to manage both those two things, then you can transition more to freelancing. But um, I think that's important to say. For sure. I, I have. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I think that it's really important to note that you just have to start somewhere. And I think I was really, really overwhelmed when I first tried to learn everything on my own. They're just good thing that there's a lot out there on the internet but it can also be super overwhelming even to this day like there's so many things so many new things so many new tools that you can check out so many things that i'm like oh i want to do this and this and this and i just don't have time so you really need to prioritize hey this is what i want to do i learned the course i need to get started somewhere so you need to take action so i think that's the very important piece Let's get into your failures, Nancy. Tell me about failure number one, not willing or recognizing the signs to pivot with client projects. Yeah, for sure. So I thought about this failure a lot and I think of it as partially about my career to my career choices uh, in terms of going into engineering and knowing that I knew I, I enjoy visual arts or visual design, but I just never thought I would make a career out of it. So not like pivoting to think that, oh, I explore it more and see what the possibility uh, there are for, for that kind of career. But I wouldn't say that's a huge failure for the career part because I really enjoy being an engineer too and also accomplishing that. But failure in pivoting in projects, uh, recognizing the signs, I think that projects, they can move very quickly. Uh, things change. When I first started, I got really frustrated about things changing. Like, I like things in my control. I like things like, oh, we were going to deliver this time or like, why not? And clients come to me and they're like, oh, well, uh, we uh, have the set de- uh, like delay. Um, we couldn't get this done or um, they changed their mind. So uh, working with a lot of cool projects I work on, a lot of cool um, clients like Holly, well, Hollywood film production groups, like government kind of contracting websites, or like even Microsoft partner organizations, it happens everywhere. Like changes happen. And I, instead of being frustrated about it, where I was, uh, where I used to like always get frustrated, I now learn to adapt a lot faster, trying to work with them, be helpful as much as I can. And I think a lot of my frustration came down to, hey, I still put it on myself to deliver the same same capacity uh, for the same deadline. And it really wasn't expected of me to because of the changes. But I still thought that, oh, if I had to communicate that, it's really 
it shows that I am not capable, that, oh, I'm not able to deliver, but when really in reality, that's not it at all. So I put that a lot, a lot of it on myself. So recognizing when to pivot and how to pivot to help uh, the overall uh, project has been definitely one of the failures that I'm learning a lot from and being able to do a lot better uh, managing that as well. Do you think you saw yourself as incapable by not hitting deadlines because you thought, I don't know, the customer's always right. And like, I have, I have said that I will get this done. So I need to get this done, even if they can't provide me the copy or any of the assets or why, why do you, why do you think you had that mindset? I, I think I, I'm just, I like to please people. <laughs> I like to make people happy. And that was a big part of it. And I think it's to this day, it's still something I, I, I think that I, it's a big part of me. I like to make my clients happy. I like to work with happy people, right? So I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to do that. So a, a big part of it, even though it's still a big part of me that I tell myself it's not me and it's, we just need to work together to communicate what is the root cause of things and why we're changing, making sure we're still delivering uh, with the end goal in mind. And that is ultimately the, the most important thing um, at the end of the day. Yeah. It's yeah. it's really important to um yeah, cut yourself some slack sometimes, I think, because if the client messes up, you know, they don't get told off because mm-hmm. they're they're paying you to do the job. Yeah. So on the other foot, like you can't do your job unless they provide you the assets to you know, it's like being asked to cook a meal without getting given any ingredients or any idea of what you're cooking. Like how are you meant to cook? Mm-hmm. So um yeah it definitely sounds like a healthy thing to realize that you are not uh the problem all right are we ready to move on to failure number two sure let's do it tell me about failure number two then failing to recognize your expertise in the space yeah uh this one is really big as well um and i feel like i always feel this way in just in my career so far, um, like in engineering, I was a new grad. I went into the field like, oh, I don't know what half the thing is. Like a lot of it is learning on the job. And I didn't feel like I have an experience on the job to do a lot of my job. So I, I rely on a lot of people's expertise and experience. They can be wrong, though. Um, so it's hard to kind of select whose advice and like whose experience I depend on. And that is also a lot of it uh, in my current and current career just um, designing, also um, developing, um, recognizing that I am really an expert in this field, that I do it every day, <laughs> every day for the last two years. And it's something I fail to kind of recognize or remind myself that when speaking with clients or just uh, if I get pushback on feedback design, I need to recognize that my opinion is matters and that it's valid. Instead of thinking that, oh, I just got started in this career. I don't know what I'm doing. My background, like people think that my background is in engineering, not even design. Like, well, do you know what you're talking about? So yes, I do know what I'm talking about. So just really recognizing that. It's easy to say, I need to recognize that I have expertise in this space. But how has that, um, you know, actually played out for you in in client meetings and stuff? Is there, are there things that you say 
you you push back on with clients now that you didn't have the confidence to do or or kind of how is that playing out for you yeah so uh i think that it really comes down to communicating with the clients and depending on what their style is or like how they like to provide feedback a lot of times uh, they can get carried away about like little details. Oh, I want this button like in the middle of the, the, the space and like not here, or like I want this a certain color. And we get a lot of that, but really it's reminding them ultimately what we're designing for. The main goal is to do, to make this a tool to help you do something. And is it really ultimately helping to achieve that? And if it's not, um, we should, we can come back to it if needed, but like I, I reason with them, I tell them the rationale behind the reasons behind why uh, certain design decisions were made. And I, with that, they understand and they can make a better choice or like ultimately it's their website so they can do what they want. But my, my goal and why they hire me is to really help them so that they can have a really good tool. And so it's to disagree with them if that's, um, that's in my opinion, right? And so, yeah, really recognizing that I shouldn't hold back opinions, even though they may be against what they think. And I think that's really important. It's interesting, this idea of pushing back, because I think a lot of people think, well, no, I'm getting paid to do a job for this person. So I'm just going to do what they say. But actually, if the client knew how to do what they wanted and they knew exactly what they wanted, then they probably do it themselves. So what they're doing is actually paying you not just to do the thing that they say, but also be a kind of accomplice to, to work through the problems. You know, they might say something really confidently, but actually say, well, why is that? You just ask why. And that question often diffuses a lot of this, do this, do that, do that. I want this change. I want this change. Because you just say, well, why? And if they can't yeah. give you a good why, then they've often answered that problem for themselves they're just like oh yeah actually you know what forget that because that doesn't really make sense I, I just want to say I I love that and that's something that I'm definitely doing a lot more asking why and I'm like do I have the right like place to like ask why like of course <laughs> of course there are, like I want like there is valid reason to ask why and we want to know want to get down to like the root cause of why they're feeling a certain Is your design any good? Is that the right color? Is that copy any good for conversions? If only there was a tool to help you answer these questions. One tool built to test Webflow sites for all. Enter OptiBase, the A-B testing tool for Webflowers. Test anything you can think of. Colors, layouts, buttons, layouts buttons no credit card needed sign up today by clicking the link in the show notes out now for web flowers everywhere back to the episode yeah i think why is the most powerful question you can ask and it might sound like you're just slowing down the client and you might be i've found when I first started asking why I was a bit scared too. Cause I was like, should I even ask why? Like they want yeah. it. So I just do it. Right. Yeah. But, um, but actually clients look at you differently because they see you more like a, a consultant because mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're really trying to get to the root of their, their thinking. 
you know, is this helping them with the problem that they are trying to achieve? Because if not, then it's probably not that actually going to help them in the long run. So you're trying to, you know, talk them through that type of thing. And I am no, by no means a master at this, but I have been in calls with founders of agency that do this really, really well. And that's when I first started learning the power, the power of why. So if the client is just telling you what to do, remind yourself to ask why. Is there anything else that you have started doing, Nancy, that you would recommend anyone listening to maybe think about if uh, they're just getting pushed around unnecessarily by a client or being asked to do things which maybe don't necessarily make sense? Yeah, I think just uh, some people can communicate in all sorts of different ways and recognizing that a lot of times it's not, it's not, it's not helping the project. Like, oh, I said we're going to get finished. Or the client would be like, oh, I, I thought I'm going to get this, like this and this date. I thought this, I told you exactly like what I wanted. And I said it in like this and this email. And like doing all that is not, uh, and then like the, the response to that, you, you'll feel very defensive. And you want to respond with, oh, hey, I told you like, in response, I I did everything you asked and, and such and such, but really all that conversation, it's not really helping like mm -hmm. move the project forward. And I think you need, really need to, I learned this really recently, just dealing with uh, a client and just having to recognize and take a step back that this whole thing that we are engaged in conversation about is not helping the project move forward, the ultimate goal. So really let's like dial back and like, figure out why we're feeling upset and then recognize that this is not helpful. And then we can move on to like the tasks that we really need to get done to, to meet the goals that you want. Love that. So <laughs> instead of saying, um, instead of engaging in a conflict, yeah. what you're doing is you're turning that conflict into a discussion. Something that um, this reminds me of, Corey Moen, who's the senior designer at Webflow, he talked about this in episode seven of the podcast. So if you're listening, listen to that one after. But he says that using data whenever possible really, really help with decision making. So if a client says, I want this button to be red, what he can do it, or what he might do is to um, like A-B test those buttons yeah. and then say to the client, hey, we actually tested this and we found that button a which was the original design uh worked a lot better and if you're trying to achieve this goal then hey i've got data to back this up which kind of means that the clients looks at you and says wow you're actually going the extra mile to work this out for me but also yeah. hey this is a closed discussion we you know we we've, we've tested it it works like this let's keep it like this so that's another thing that you could do Tell me about failure number three, failing mm -hmm. to ask for specific feedback. This one's really important because uh, when I first started, it's I would show my work and kind of feel, I still feel nervous about sharing my work um, and just putting out there, oh, what do you think? Uh, or here's the design. Uh, tell me everything you're feeling or like want to say, questions, concerns, everything. But really, when I do that uh, for clients and they come back with a, a lot of different things. It's not, it's not exactly super helpful. What I find that the failure in that is 
really I need to specify, hey, these are the things that I worked on specifically. I'm looking for feedback for these general uh, areas or these areas specifically. Like, do you feel that this gives the user the feeling that of of calmness that you wanted specified in like uh, your brand? Um, is it helping with that specifically and comment on that? So really being specific in, hey, uh, what do you think of this uh, in regards to so-and-so? So you're phrasing the question, what do you think of X in regards to Y? Yes. And that's how you would phrase the feedback rather than saying, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think being very specific in what exactly I'm asking for is very important. So they can give you a good quick yes or no, or like reasons why they think that it's not exactly what they like or what they're hoping for. Instead of, oh, hey, uh, instead of this button that I'm looking for feedback on, I, I don't like the logo being red in this other area because we do a lot of design iterations in our work and a lot of it can be on different parts of the website and providing feedback on different parts of the website, even though we appreciate their feedback, always appreciate the feedback, um, it's just not helping move the, the part that we want feedback forward and just like going back and forth. This might be an important time to ask you, what is the the process to get to the website build stage? Like, do you do brand identities uh, with Slam Media and Adaptable or are they providing their own brand identity and then you go into design or how does that work? Yeah, so it really varies uh, depending on clients, uh, what they already have. A lot of times they do come to us with, hey, this is our existing website and this is our existing brand. And it's important to identify whether they love the brand or like they're looking for something new because they have a shift in their company or organization. Um, so determining whether or not they need something new or they have something existing that they love or that we need to create something new for them. So that yeah, that's something we, we do at Slam. Um, and then um, from there, we talk about, oh, hey, this is the brand. Uh, what are some of the goals that you want your website to help you with? And then determining what that looks like, looking at what pages are required to for people to learn about you, um, to find that, to build trust uh, with your users so that they can confidently do the certain things that you're looking for them to do. And with that, we build uh, content, uh, we lay out the content, we build wireframes, and then um, sometimes we help with the copywriting, but a lot of times the clients prefer uh, to do their own copywriting and we do, we give them pointers and edit uh, depending on uh, where they, what they come back with. And from there, we go ahead and uh, design out the whole thing given what their brand identity is and what they're trying to achieve and all the feelings that they want the user to feel while uh, going through their online experience. And then from there, well, then we get their green light approval to say, hey, build this. And a lot of times, sometimes, a lot of times there, there are changes and um, that comes back even at, at the design uh, or development phase, which uh, I still find a little frustrating sometimes just because we're like, oh, we, we like, basically curated the, this whole process perfected it to do a certain things but things change so okay so even though you've got this perfect process humans are imperfect and you know they change things throughout that process do you have you know any advice for 
someone that is maybe having difficulty getting the client through this client process um, because there's so many revisions on the way. Do you think there's there's some um, nugget or you know knowledge that you could give them to help move that client through that process as quickly as possible or anything that Slam Media or Adaptable do to help that? Yeah. Um, so it is always really difficult when you're in that situation, um, being delayed a lot, weeks, if not months, uh, trying to push out something when the client either is just too busy uh, to get you what you need or is uh, just need some help. I think what's really important is really going back to the very first discovery call where you're talking about, hey, what are some of the goals that you want to work towards? Give them some reasons and like why they want to finish this. And this is ultimately why we are partnered together to do this together, right? Sometimes that, that the client just need a little help. Maybe they're just overwhelmed by the amount of things that they need to do or things that they've never done before. Like having to write copies really difficult. And so like giving them pointers on, hey, uh, like maybe they are good writers, uh, maybe, but they don't know really how to write for a website. That's another thing too. Um, giving them really good pointers, uh, letting them that we like, we are available to support them if they need it. And that a lot of times hopping on a call um, is helpful so that they know that they, they get reassured, oh, this is really simple. It's really not that bad. So I think ultimately, long answer short, uh, get back to the goal and figure out what are some things, some of the simple things that you can do to help your clients, whether that be like hopping on a call to chat through some of their concerns or like questions or hesitations um, and or just uh, providing them with more tips here and there um, to help them along and kind of looking back at looking at the whole project as a whole saying, oh, we are probably uh, two weeks away from like being done, letting them setting up them up for uh, some expectations so that they know it well in advance what to expect. Okay, Nancy, you've given us so many gems, but now we come to a very important next question. Are you ready? <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's try it. What is your next failure going to be? Wow. Mm. Okay, I think I got a good one. In, in lines with asking for feedback, um, I think something that I'm focusing on this year a lot is to be more present online in, in the community. There is such a great community around Webflow um, and Webflowers, web designer, and that I want to be more active in the spaces because I got a lot of help in the community when I first started. And I think that my failure would be being too busy with everything to be present, but I want to make that a priority uh, so that I can I, I can show uh, show off more of my work. Uh, I'm not a very public person, so that's really difficult for me to do. So I can see that it's going to be something that I will actively have to work on. But um, but yes, that's that's definitely it. And also probably asking for help. I like to do a lot of things on my own, and like it's that mentality that if I delegate or say I can't do something saying no it's that I can't do it um, but in reality it's not it at all so asking for help and also just, uh, just showing up my work um, sharing my work <laughs> thanks so much to Nancy for coming on the show and thanks so much to you for listening to the end I think the thing that I enjoyed most about this episode was talking about pushing back 
um, on design feedback, you know, sometimes clients take the reins and they say, no, it's my way or the highway. Um, yes, that's how all clients talk. And it's kind of frustrating because they're paying you and then they're kind of manhandling you to try and do what they want even if you don't necessarily agree with their design decisions. And you're kind of stuck in a hard place, right? You're like, mm, well, they're the ones paying, so maybe I should just do what they do. But Nancy talks about how trusting her experience and saying, look, client, I am the person you're hiring, and here's why I've made the design decisions that I have. And I'm going to draw from the experiences that I've got, maybe show examples to the client. And that is the difference between someone who's just doing the work to get the work done versus more of a consultant who says, look, I'm going to help you get to your achieved, desired final destination, even if that means that I'm going to confront you a little bit. Really powerful stuff there. Next week... I'll be interviewing the great, the awesome Lish from New Zealand who set up New to the Flow. So very excited for that episode. Thanks so much for listening to Webflow, guys. Appreciate the support. 30 episodes in. Hey, let's do another 30 at least, right? Maybe another 300. I'm going to do this till I die. Maybe. Anyway, have a great week. Loads of love. Peace. Peace. <laughs>